Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of my A to Z of musicals. This time I'm talking all things beginning with the letter J and after this struggle last time with the letter I to find many people and shows, actually there's an absolute abundance of musical theatre excitement beginning with the letter J. So let's get straight into it. Now, I remember as a young teenager, this first musical legend in a TV programme, actually, The Partridge Family, uh, about a family of pop singers. And uh, she played the mum alongside her real life son, actually, David Cassidy. And this is the wonderful Shirley Jones film, stage and TV performer, Shirley Jones was actually named after Shirley Temple, which I hadn't realised. Um, she started out in 1949 in the ensemble of South Pacific on Broadway. And she was playing a nurse, actually, along with all those other nurses. She was spotted by Rogers and Hammerstein, the composers of the show, and they were so impressed that they signed up Shirley Jones to play the lead role in the 1955 film adaptation of their musical Oklahoma. And she starred as Laurie. And she's so beautiful in this film. It's such a great performance. And she starred alongside the magnificent Gordon McRae. And actually, the following year in 1956, she also starred in the film adaptation of Carousel as leading lady Julie Jordan. So that was a fantastic start for her. Two really great roles, very close together. Interestingly, the role of Billy Bigelow, played by Gordon McRae, was originally intended for Frank Sinatra, um, but he actually walked out of that production. And so later, he was held to... Um, contractually obliged, really, to perform in another musical. So he starred with Shirley MacLaine in Can Can in 1960. So Shirley Jones did a couple more musicals, ones that aren't really remembered so well now, one in 1957 called April Love and another in 1959 called Never Steal Anything Small. She then went on in 1960 to win the Oscar uh, Best Supporting Actress Academy Award for her performance in the film Elmer Gantry. Now, that wasn't a musical, but it was important for her because when they were trying to cast for the 1962 film version of The Music Man, which had been such a big hit on Broadway from 1957, they were looking for somebody with star quality and a recognised name. And of course, Shirley Jones was doing extremely well at this point. So the stage production of The Music Man with music, lyrics and book, all by the fabulous Meredith Wilson, was a big hit and had Robert Preston in the lead role of Professor Harold Hill. But he wasn't really known beyond... Broadway and they wanted a big star as I've said so Barbara Cook who was, was playing the role of Marion Peru the librarian with her beautiful crystal clear soprano voice was not chosen to play um, Marion in the film version and of course uh, it's always hard isn't it when uh, somebody who's done so well in the stage production is not cast um, they went for the, the name, the star name. Having said that, Shirley Jones did a remarkable job, in my opinion, in the film. She, she really did a great job. And uh, actually, I discovered that she was pregnant during the making of that film with her son, Patrick Cassidy. She was actually married to Jack Cassidy, um, who was the epitome of the debonair matinee idol and he'd been in quite a number of shows on Broadway in the 1960s, including She Loves Me, where he'd played Stephen Kodai, 
and a show called It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. Uh, Jack Cassidy then starred opposite Shirley Jones in a disappointing show actually called Maggie Flynn in 1968. So it was their son, Patrick Cassidy, that Shirley Jones had been carrying during the making of The Music Man. And interestingly, she did then go on to star with Patrick on stage a couple of times. In 1977, she starred in The Sound of Music as Maria, and Patrick actually played Rolf. And also in that cast was Sarah Jessica Parker as Brigitta. She, um, Shirley then, later on in 2004, made her Broadway return after nearly 40 years, actually, as a replacement Dorothy Brock in 42nd Street. And she played alongside Patrick, who was starring as Julian Marsh. So that's Shirley Jones, in my mind, a musical legend. I'm very excited to talk about Jekyll and Hyde, the musical by Frank Wildhorn and Leslie Brickus. This was um, a musical adaptation of the Robert Louis Stevenson novella, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Such a famous story. And it debuted actually in Houston, Texas, back in May of 1990. And then there was a tour and then there was a recording released, actually, which I bought, which was a, I bought it on cassette. Um, it was a double cassette and it sold over 250,000 copies. So all of that happened before the show actually went to Broadway. The cassette has Robert Cuccioli as the wonderful um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with Linda Edder as Lucy, and I talked about Linda Edda back in the Letter E episode of my podcast. And it also starred Carolee Carmelo, and I, I just love her. She's a, a wonderful theatre performer. So then in 1997, the show opened on Broadway, and it ran for uh, nearly three years, actually, 1,543 performances, Plus, it got four Tony nominations. Um, it opened at the Plymouth Theatre on Broadway. And whilst it was dismissed quite a bit, really, by the press, the audiences really liked it. And it ended up having kind of a cult status. I was very lucky to see this show on Broadway. And... Uh, uh, not until 2000, but when I saw this show, the parts of uh, Dr. Henry Jekyll and Edward Hyde were played by a performer called Sebastian Bach. And I didn't know who he was, but he was actually the front man for a heavy metal band in America called Skid Row. And he clearly had a massive following because the audience, that um, much of the audience that was there was to see him. And... Uh, he was absolutely incredible. What an amazing performance he gave. Well, I can remember being completely blown away by him. And the cast had other great stars in when I saw it. People like Barry Ingham and Brandy Siobhan Massey and Brad Oscar. A brilliant production. One of the people, of course, who is really famously connected to the show is TV star David Hasselhoff, who also played the parts of Jekyll and Hyde. And in the filmed version that is available to watch, he stars in that show. Uh, this show has some beautiful music in it, and uh, including, of course, the famous This Is The Moment song. The show has been to the UK and I saw a touring production back in 2004 with the wonderful Paul Nicholas as Jekyll and Hyde. And whilst he did a good job, I, I didn't think this production was a patch on the production that I'd seen on Broadway, actually. However, the two female leads were wonderful, Louise Dearman and Shona Lindsay, and of course, both of them are fabulous performers. 
So there you go. I thought I'd mention Jekyll and Hyde. My next musical performer is the debonair, suave, French film and television actor, Louis Jordan. And Louis Jordan's biggest hit is undoubtedly the 1958 musical comedy film of Gigi. And he starred as Gaston, along with the wonderful Leslie Caron, who interestingly plays a teenager while she was already 26 years of age at that point and had a child of her own. Um, the film also starred the wonderful Hermione Gingold and, of course, Maurice Chevalier. And actually, the film won an unprecedented nine Academy Awards. Incredible. The film was directed by Vincent Minnelli with music by Frederick Lowe and lyrics by Alan J. Lerner. Of course, Lerner and Lowe, the wonderful partnership that gave us My Fair Lady as well. Um, screenplay also actually by Alan J. Lerner. The film was shot on location in part in and around Paris, which was quite something in 1958. Uh, Gigi was later adapted for stage, opening on Broadway in 1973 and later in the West End in 1985. Louis Jordan also starred in the musical comedy film Can Can, which was released in 1960 with music and lyrics by Cole Porter. Um, in this film, we had Frank Sinatra, who, and I mentioned earlier actually, was contractually obliged to star in this film, along with the wonderful Shirley MacLaine, and again with Maurice Chevalier. It was based on the stage musical of the same name. And Louis Jordan was famously fired from the show On a Clear Day You Can See Forever. Uh, he was in Boston doing the tryouts and sing. he sang in the tryouts and it was felt that he was ill-equipped for his role, for his singing role really. So he was replaced by John Cullum. So there we have Louis Jordan. I think he deserves to be in our A to Z, don't you? A musical icon has to be the incredible Sir Elton John. Such a gifted showman, prolific songwriter. Uh, he's toured uh, thousands of times. He's done his concerts. He's recorded over 50 albums. And he has a really genuine link with musical theatre and musical films. Uh, he starred actually back in 1975 in the musical film Tommy based on The Who's 1969 rock opera album and he played the part of Pinball Wizard and uh, from that moment on I think he just had that connection really with musicals. In 1994 he worked with the incredible Tim Rice to create the songs for the 1994 Disney animated classic, The Lion King. And this film was just staggering. I can remember going to see this at the cinema. In fact, I even remember seeing the trailer months and months before the film was released. And it's the opening scene with the Circle of Life song and the music and the incredible African atmosphere. And, oh, God. It was just stunning. Um, I remember this film moving me to tears and the music certainly played a significant part in that experience. Uh, the film won two Academy Awards for Best Original Score and uh, Academy Best Original Song for Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Absolutely beautiful. So then it was no surprise when Disney decided to turn this into a stage show um, produced by the wonderful Thomas Schumacher that uh, Elton John and Tim Rice were brought in again to work on developing the music and 
This stage show opened on Broadway on the 13th of November 1997 and it was such an inventive production with experimental uh, directorship, if you like, from the wonderful Julie Tamer. She created this animal kingdom through puppetry and fantastic stage sets. Um, and new music was added as well from the South African composer Lebo M. It really is amazing. I remember the first time I saw this on stage. I saw it in June of 2000 in London at the Lyceum Theatre, where it still runs today. And it just took my breath away in that opening scene with the um, animals amongst the audience coming down the aisles and the birds flying overhead and the costumes and the colour and the sound. It really is uh, impressive. I have to say that Lion King, as time goes on, isn't necessarily one of my favourite shows, but the first time you see it, it's quite something. Um, along with his work um, on The Lion King, of course, for me, uh, the best piece of musical theatre work that Elton John has been involved with has been Billy Elliot, the musical. And this time he worked with Lee Hall. Uh, Elton wrote the music, Lee Hall wrote the lyrics, and they premiered this incredible production based on the Stephen Doldry film in uh, 2005 at the Victoria Palace Theatre, which is now home, actually, of Hamilton. Uh, this show is just fantastic. And it's really interesting because actually when they were working on this, Elton John was so busy doing concerts and touring that uh, he and Lee Hall found it difficult to actually come together. So the first half of the show was mostly written with them being in completely different parts of the world. And um, Lee Hall would write lyrics and send them uh, via fax, I think, to Elton John. And Elton John would create music almost immediately um, which, you know, he's known for being such a fast songwriter, but it, in, incredible. Of course, they did come together more on the second half of the show. Um, Elton John insisted that the songs be written chronologically so that he could feel the musical uh, growth, if you like, the organic growth of the story and the show and the characters. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Um, so the show opened on Broadway in 2008. I didn't get to see the show um, until January 2007. I went down to London to see it. And Sally Dexter was starring at this point as Mrs Wilkinson. And my first ever Billy Elliot was a young boy called Dean McCarthy. And he was brilliant. And in fact, every single Billy I've seen since... They're so talented, these young boys, and the incredible dance and energy that they give to it. Just amazing. But for me, my favourite Billy of all has to be Elliot Hanna. And I saw him on stage in 2014 with the magnificent Anna Jane Casey as Mrs Wilkinson. And uh, in fact, you can see Elliot Hanna in the filmed recording of Billy Elliot. Uh, he plays Billy in that version and he is just stunning. Uh, he actually is with the wonderful Ruthie Henshaw as Mrs Wilkinson in that production. So Elton John has been involved in some incredible shows, but let's just think about shows that are maybe not as well known. So he did work on uh, the animated film The Road to El Dorado, again with Tim Rice. And of course, the show that is now known as Aida, which was originally elab sorry, Elaborate Lives, The Legend of Aida. In 2000, uh, he and Tim Rice wrote this show, which was performed on Broadway. It, it was nominated for five and won four Tony Awards, including Heather Headley as Best Actress in a Musical and for Best Original Music Score. Aida was based on the Verdi opera, which is a doomed love story of 
the enslaved Nubian princess Aida and the Egyptian prince Ramses. The, I really love the music for this and actually the, I had the concept album first and then the cast recording and the songs are just gorgeous. Sadly, we've not had a production of this show in the UK yet, but I'm hopeful that we will someday see that show. Now, it's incredible to believe that Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice only wrote three shows together. And I've already talked about Evita when I was doing my letter E, so if you want to go back and have a listen to that, the next two both begin with the letter J. So what a great opportunity for me to talk for a little while about this amazing collaboration and the two fabulous shows that they produced. And I know that my lovely friend Lilia is a huge fan of both, especially Jesus Christ Superstar. But I'm going to start with Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice teamed up in 1965 and they were fellow students in Oxford and they were commissioned to, to write a children's pop cantata for the Colette Court, which was part of the St Paul's Junior School. And interestingly, Andrew Lloyd Webber's younger brother, Julian Lloyd Webber, had attended there as a student. So the very first performance of Joseph and the Amazing Technical A Dreamcoat was on the 1st of March, 1968, and it lasted for 15 minutes. And uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, there's a wonderful line actually in the lyrics of the show. It's all there in chapter 39 of Genesis. Well, it is. That's the inspiration, of course, the story of Joseph from uh, Genesis in the Bible. And uh, this show went from a 15 minute school performance to a mega hit. There is a, re a recording actually of that original performance. And uh, it wasn't until 1973 that the show opened in the West End in London at the Albury Theatre, which is now the Noel Coward Theatre. And uh, Gary Bond was the first person to play Joseph on the, in the West End. I love this show and it's got such energy and some fantastic songs and it's got a great range of musical styles in it as well. And that's one of the things that's kept this show popular over the years. Um, in 1981, the show opened on Broadway and actually, can you imagine this? It opened the same season as Stephen Sondheim's Merrily We Roll Along. Uh, Joseph did really well. Merrily We Roll Along closed after only 16 performances. And whilst I really enjoy Joseph, Merrily is truly one of my favourite musicals of all time. It's just beautiful. Um, in 1991 there was a revival of Joseph in the West End actually at the London Palladium uh, this time with pop singer Jason Donovan as uh, Joseph and the magnificent Lindsay Hately as the narrator and actually I talked about Lindsay during my letter H episode I've seen the show a number of times, first of all, back in February 1985, when there was a touring production around the UK and Mike Holloway played the part of Joseph. And I don't know if any of you remember him, but Mike Holloway, Mike Holloway was in a pop group called Flintlock. And he was also starring on television in a, a children's TV show called The Tomorrow People, which I absolutely loved. So to see him on stage, and, and he was very, very attractive, Joseph, as well. Um, that was really exciting. And I did go and uh, go to stage door and get his autograph, which was quite an, an exciting thing for me at that stage. The next time I saw um, a production was the um, 
Palladium production with Lindsay Haightley and Philip Schofield, I saw. I didn't see Jason Donovan. Um, in the cast for that production were also the magnificent Anna Jane Casey, the wonderful Glenn Carter, and David Easter, who played the Pharaoh, who I'd been watching for many a month in Brookside on the television. 1994, I saw a production, well, I saw the production in Chicago, at the Chicago Theatre, actually, and this was Donny Osmond. Uh, imagine me flying over to Chicago and being able to see Donny Osmond on stage. And then again, I stood outside afterwards and queued for what felt like hours, actually, because he was such a popular star at the time. Um, there were hundreds and hundreds of people queuing to say hello and get his, his autograph, which I did. So uh, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, I saw Lee Mead in the Adelphi Theatre production in 2007. And of course, Lee Mead had been the winner on the TV search for Joseph called Any Dream Will Do. And then in 2012, I saw Keith Jack, who had been the runner up actually in that TV series as well. There is a 1999 uh, film which was this um, produce a release which went straight to video starring Maria Friedman as the narrator along with Donny Osmond as well and the magnificent Joan Collins was in that production so Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat the first successful collaboration between Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice the show that made Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice household names was, of course, Jesus Christ Superstar. And I have talked a little bit about this on previous episodes, how this grew from a concept album idea. It wasn't actually just a concept album. It was a conceptual rock album. And it was a, an incredible, powerful sound of proper rock voices. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice employed performers with true rock sounds. And uh, the album was so successful. It, it was amazing. It had Murray Head as Judas, Yvonne Elliman as Mary Magdalene, and Ian Gillen as Jesus. And the album actually topped the US charts three times. The concept of rock operas, though, wasn't brand new. The show Hair, back in 1968 on Broadway, had been hailed, I suppose, as the first ever rock musical. And there had been musicals about rock music. The show Bye Bye Birdie was uh, inspired, really, uh, by the drafting of Elvis Presley into the army. Um, and that was a 1960s Broadway show with a subsequent film in 1963 with Anne Margaret There was also the UK's uh, show Expresso Bongo, which was on stage in 1958 with the wonderful pop star Tommy Steele. And that also was made into a film, although this time with Cliff Richard and Lawrence Harvey. The show itself of um, Jesus Christ Superstar came to Broadway eventually in 1971 and it was a great success but it was a tough show to put on stage because there was a huge backlash really as far as um, whether or not people thought this show was appropriate. Many people thought it was blasphemous. The fact that it's told in, in a lot of ways through the eyes of Judas Iscariot was seen to be blasphemous itself. The BBC actually put a ban on the concept album, so the the album did better in the in the US than it did in the UK. People thought it was the devil's work, and there were huge protesters. I've I've mentioned this earlier, but when I first saw this show in Manchester, even ten years later in nineteen eighty one, there were people protesting outside because. Uh, people feel that it's not acceptable or appropriate to present the life of Jesus Christ in this way. 
Anyway, the show opened on Broadway and uh, it had Yvonne Elliman in that production again, this time with Ben Vereen as Judas Iscariot and um, Jeff Fenholt as Jesus. It ran for 711 performances, uh, a year and a half really, and, and did really well. Interestingly, Andrew Lloyd Webber did not like the stage production. It was directed by Tom O'Horgan, who'd also directed Hair, the Broadway production of Hair. And he later went on to produce and direct the French rock opera Star Mania in 1979. But Andrew Lloyd Webber didn't like this production. And so when it came to the UK, it was stripped back quite considerably. Australian producer Robert Stigwood had bought the rights and he planned the Broadway opening and actually stayed with the show through to the UK and the 1973 film as well. And Stigwood was really clever because he saw the potential here for the first time of a production that could be replicated and licensed around the world. I suppose it was the first concept of... Um, a global franchise musical, uh, which we see now all the time. You look at things like Cats and Les Mis and Miss Saigon and, and Phantom. You know, this was the first time that that happened. The show ran in London with the uh, stripped down production for eight years at the Palace Theatre at the top of Shaftesbury Avenue. And... Uh, we had Paul Nicholas as Jesus, an absolutely brilliant production. I was so lucky years later to see Paul Nicholas in the 20th anniversary production with um, the wonderful Claire Moore as Mary Magdalene. I saw that at the Nottingham Playhouse and uh, it was just wonderful. And there is um, a cast recording of the 20th anniversary concert with Paul Nicholas and Claire Moore. So uh, check that out if you're interested. As an aside, I didn't know this, but Alan Bublil, the famous lyricist for um, Les Mis and Miss Saigon, he saw a production in Broadway of Jesus Christ Superstar. And this was the thing that launched him into uh, his collaboration with Claude Michel Schoenberg because he felt that he wanted to be able to bring musicals to to life in the same way that Lloyd Webber and Tim Wright had done, almost as those sung through shows. The film version of Jesus Christ Superstar from 1973 was very special to me because I remember going to see that at the cinema and being glued to my seat at the end because I felt that I, I couldn't get up and leave. And uh, Ted Neely as Jesus in the film version was just incredible. His voice and his performance and um, and Carl Anderson actually, who had taken over from Ben Vereen in the Broadway production as Judas, then went on to star in the film and they were just simply magnificent. So I've seen Jesus Christ Superstar many times over the years, lots of different productions and performances, and I'm always moved by it because it's a very important story to me. But I, I do think worthy of mention would be Joanna Amphill as Mary Magdalene and Steve Balsamo as Jesus Christ in the 1997 production at the Lyceum in the West End. Uh, again, there's a, a recording of that. Steve Balsamo's Gethsemane just sends chills really through me. Uh, that was such an incredible production. As well as performances by Glenn Carter as Jesus. Um, he is in the 2000 TV version, actually, along with the magnificent Jerome Pradon as Judas Iscariot. And uh, both wonderful. And then I saw Glenn Carter in 2004 in a touring production, again, as Jesus, uh, when it came to Manchester. So uh, this show is a very important musical and a very special one to me, and it certainly deserves its place in the A to Z of musicals, letter J.
At the time of recording this episode, my next musical theatre legend is 97 years of age and she is the wonderful Glynis Johns. Now, Glynis Johns is a British actress of stage and screen and actually is famous for far more than her musical theatre roles. But she has been uh, an iconic player in some of those shows. So I wanted to mention her. She actually was honoured in 1998 as a Disney legend. And of course, that's because of her performance in the 1964 film of Mary Poppins when she starred as Mrs. Winifred Banks. In fact, Glynis Jones had a song written especially for her in Mary Poppins called Sister Suffragette. And I've heard it said, but I don't know if this is true, that actually she thought she'd been signed up to play the part of Mary Poppins, not the part of Mrs. Banks, and that the song was written almost as a um, uh, sorry to her. So I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a, it's a good story. Prior to starring in Mary Poppins, she had been in a musical in 1956 with Danny Kaye, the musical comedy, The Court Jester, which is still a delightful film to watch if you get the chance. Probably her biggest and most um, important musical theatre role, of course, was that of Desiree Armfelt in Stephen Sondheim's A Little Night Music. Uh, Glynis Johns actually created this role and it's such a witty, romantic, elegant story and she performed this role just perfectly. The show, A Little Night Music, opened on Broadway on the 25th of February 1973 with music and lyrics, of course, by Stephen Sondheim and book by Hugh Wheeler. And she was joined in that production by the magnificent Hermione Gingold, who actually, this performance gave Hermione Gingold's career a, a boost. And she was joined by the wonderful Len Cariou. Again, in this show, Glynis Johns had a song written especially for her voice. Stephen Sondheim wrote Send in the Clowns for Glynis Johns to perform. And this song was so successful that it actually won a Grammy in 1975 for a recorded version by Judy Collins. This was kind of a, a folksy recording. Um, this was uh, actually a year after the show had closed on Broadway. So, uh, you know, phenomenal achievement there. Um, in this production, just worthy of mention also uh, of A Little Night Music, was the costume designer Florence Klotz, who was actually known as Flossie by her um, colleagues. And Florence Klotz created this stunning red, crimson red dress that Glynis Johns wore in the show. She also worked on shows like Follies, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Rags, Showboat, the revival of Showboat in 1994, actually, with the beautiful Rebecca Luca. So um, Florence Klotz worked on some amazing productions. Glynis Johns did have some other opportunities to work in musical theatre. She starred in uh, productions of The Boyfriend, actually, in the 1980s in Toronto. And she also starred in a later production of A Little Night Music in 1991, this time playing the role of Madame Armfelt, which is quite a nice little uh, turnaround for her. So there you go, in my mind, an absolute legend, Glynis Johns. The Jungle Book, 1967, the last animated classic cartoon that Walt Disney worked on before he sadly passed away in 1966 is just magnificent and no matter how many times I see it I'm still blown away by the beautiful animation the stunning uh, 
scenes and the incredible music and story. And I just wanted to give a quick mention to The Jungle Book because it's such a great show. 1967 and Walt Disney had always planned that there would be a sequel, The Jungle Book 2. It took the Disney company 30 years um, before that came out in 2003 as Jungle Book 2. So uh, um, those famous songs, of course, uh, were written not just by the Sherman Brothers this time, but George Bruns did the music, lyrics by the Sherman Brothers, and the famous Bare Necessities song was written by Terry Gilkison. So there you have The Jungle Book. Now, when I was a young boy, I absolutely loved watching the comedic actor Dean Jones. He starred in quite a lot of Disney films in the late 60s and throughout the 70s. Films like The Love Bug with Herbie, of course, that wonderful Volkswagen Beetle. And uh, films like Snowball Express and The Million Dollar Duck, That Darn Cat, The Shaggy DA. He did loads of great, great Disney films. And of course, I was a huge Disney fan. In fact, in 1995, he was honoured as a Disney legend. Um, but what I hadn't realised until much later was that he had a musical theatre background. He did, in fact, create the role of Bobby in the original production of Company, Stephen Sondheim's musical that opened on Broadway in April of 1970. And um, you can hear Dean Jones on the original Broadway cast recording. This show, actually, people say it was the first real Sondheim score because it was the first time that Sondheim wrote the lyrics and the music. The original cast, alongside Dean Jones, had wonderful people like Beth Howland and Elaine Stritch and Donna McKechnie and a great team of creatives. Hal Prince was directing, Michael Bennett was staging with Bob Avian as assistant choreographer and those beautiful orchestrations by Jonathan Tunick. Um, sadly, Dean Jones had to step away from this production fairly quickly after opening because he was going through a difficult time um, and going through divorce in his personal life. And so actually Larry Kurt took over the part. Now we know Larry Kurt because he was the original Tony on Broadway in West Side Story. But interestingly, uh, when the show went to London, uh, it was pretty much the same cast. So CBS decided to re-release the cast album, which has Dean Jones on it, but overlay the voice of Larry Kurt. Uh, I didn't know this. So apparently if you listen really carefully, you can hear the shadow of a voice of Dean Jones underneath, um, which is unbelievable really, isn't it? So there you go, the wonderful Dean Jones. And actually, um, I also found out that Dean Jones then did, much later in 1993, he joined the reunion concert, which ran just for two performances of company at the Vivian Beaumont Theatre. And he did sing the part of Bobby. Dean Jones. My next show in the letter J is Jerome Robbins Broadway. This was a 1989 spectacular, if you like, a retrospective of Jerome Robbins' life's work, including fantastic shows such as The King and I, West Side Story, Fiddler on the Roof, On the Town, Gypsy, what, what an amazing career this man had. And the show actually won the Tony Award for Best Musical in 1989. But interestingly, Jerome Robbins was not a popular man at all. In fact, he was exceedingly unpopular. Uh, in fact, for some people, he was positively hateful. He lost many friends after naming names before the House Un-American Activities Committee during the McCarthy era. And uh, he's been called actually a despised genius. 
The show itself had the most incredible cast, including Charlotte D'Amboise, Jason Alexander, Faith Prince, Debbie Shapiro. It really was a spectacle. Um, if you get a chance, to try and read Broadway Babylon by Bose Hadley. There's a really interesting section in there all about Jerome Robbins and how people really turned against him and uh, were hopeful that he might publicly or even privately apologise for naming people in the, in the McCarthy process. So Jerome Robbins has to be um, included in an A to Z of musical theatre and this show particularly, but fascinating to learn what people thought about him. We couldn't visit the letter J without talking about Hugh Jackman, the Australian actor who's been described as a true Broadway star. And his first international role cast him as Curly in the National Theatre's production of Oklahoma. This was the Trevor Nunn production in 1998 with choreography by Susan Stroman. And uh, he starred alongside the wonderful Josephina Gabrielle as Laurie and the magnificent Maureen Lipman as Antella. And apparently he was asked to screen test for the big blockbuster film The X-Men because the producer had seen him in Oklahoma. He also was nominated for an Olivier Award that year for his performance as Curly. If you haven't seen the production, it is available to watch. There was a DVD released of the show, um, although there has been some criticism of that because the, the show was filmed um, away from an audience and then the audience bits were added later. So it doesn't feel quite like a live performance, but he is fantastic in it. Um, Hugh Jackman also won a Tony Award for his performance as Peter Allen in the 2004 musical The Boy from Oz. And again, there's a fantastic cast recording of that. He has quite a connection with the Tonys because he's hosted the Tonys four times and uh, he's continued to have a strong link with musical theatre and musical films. In 2012, he starred as Jean Valjean in the hugely expensive film version of Les Mis. Apparently, it cost $61 million to make, um, but has since recuperated that at least seven times over. Wow. Uh, of course, we know that this film famously had everybody singing live on set. They had small little earpiece, earpieces in and the piano melody was played through the earpiece and they sang live, which is really unusual and totally different from what's happened in the past where people sing along to recordings that they've already made. He was nominated for an Academy Award for his role as Jean Valjean and he did win the Golden Globe that year as well. And in 2007, Hugh Jackman starred in The Greatest Showman, that wonderful, dazzling and bright film of the life of Phineas T. Barnum. And soon, hopefully this year in 2021, he will play Professor Harold Hill on Broadway with the magnificent Sutton Foster. So there we have uh, quite a, a nutshell of Hugh Jackman. Just to correct myself there, actually, I said 2007 for The Greatest Showman, and of course I meant 2017. I do want to mention the musical review, Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris. This was a 1966 off-Broadway a review really um it was the first kind of songwriter review um and it celebrates the music of the french singer songwriter jacques brel 
and was very successful. It's been called the granddaddy of composer compilations and has spawned a huge number of imitations, actually. There was a film version in 1975 as well, where Jacques Brel actually sings himself. So Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris. And so here we are at that point in my podcast when I reflect and think, who have we missed out? Any J's that we've not included so far? Well, we haven't talked about Al Jolson, who made cinema history back in 1927, almost 100 years ago, with the silent movie, The Jazz Singer, where they added sound, added songs, actually. And it became known as the first major talking picture or talkie. And it sent shockwave through the film industry at the time. Al Jolson, who did have two films made about his life, The Jolson Story and Jolson Sings Again, with Larry Parks starring as Al Jolson. And in fact, Brian Connolly starred in the UK in a musical uh, stage show of his life, simply called Jolson. Uh, We haven't talked about Jerry's Girls, the musical review of... Jerry Herman's work, or Jerry Springer, the opera, which I found highly offensive, if I'm honest. I saw it at the Cambridge Theatre in London back in 2004, and then a couple of years ago, I went to see it again at the Hope Mill Theatre in Manchester. And uh, it's got some really funny scenes, but it does have some shocking uh, shocking parts to it as well. Um, I haven't talked about Brian Darcy James, the fabulous Broadway star who made his Broadway debut in uh, Blood Brothers. And I do mention that, actually. I saw him in 1993. Um, And you can listen to me talking about that in my podcast, The Letter B for Blood Brothers. He also starred in the off-Broadway show, Floyd Collins, which has been very successful and has got a bit of a a cult following, really. Uh, He's starred in shows like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, White Christmas, Titanic, uh, and he originated the role of Shrek in the 2008 musical version of the DreamWorks film, Shrek the Musical, with music by one of my favourites, Janine Tesori. And finally today, we haven't had time to talk about Jersey Boys, the jukebox musical with music from the back catalogue of Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, which ran on Broadway from 2005 to 2017 uh, and did really well. And this show is coming back to the West End or just outside the West End in London later in 2021. So a busy letter, the letter J, after a quiet letter of I, um, and I'm sure I've missed out other things, but thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please will you leave me some feedback wherever you listen to this podcast because it helps me to increase my numbers. Until next time, have a Doris day.